the Intersection Education Podcast. Schools are the place where different institutions, services, and societal influences meet. In other words, they're at the intersection of children's lives. In the Intersection Education Podcast, we speak with insiders and outsiders of the education world to try to gain new insight and improve our schools. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Intersection Education Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Haley. My conversation in this episode is with Gordon Campbell. Gordon's worked in French immersion for over 30 years, and through that time he taught at every level from the second grade all the way up to university. In 2011, he was the recipient of the Canadian Association of Immersion Professionals, or l'Association Canadienne des Professeurs d'Immersion, also known as ACPI, their prestigious André Obadia Award recognizing excellence in the French immersion practice. He also received the Manitoba's Excellence in Education Award in 2012 in the Outstanding School Leader Award category. Now, I met Gordon and really got to know him through our involvement with ACPI's National Conference and our work with the ACPI French Immersion Leaders Project. He was a really influential member of that group, and he presented many times all over Canada, and I really learned a lot from him. Now, Gordon's retired now, but uh, he continues to really contribute in French immersion research. And as you'll hear in our interview, he recently wrote a book for educational leaders who work in the French immersion sector or in that field. Now, if you like what you're hearing, connect with Intersection Education. You can go to our website, intersectioneducation.com, or you can follow us on Twitter at Intersection Ed. We really appreciate it when you rate us on iTunes and leave a review. Here's my conversation with my friend, Gordon Campbell. Hi, Gordon. Thanks for joining me today. How are you today? Thanks, Corey. I'm good. That's nice great. day in Winnipeg. A little cool. Let's get right into uh, why I want to speak to you. Uh, I mean, you, you taught and led schools for many years. And uh, I'd like to know, looking back now, what would you say are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned um, now that you've had a bit of time to digest and, and think about your career? Uh, as a, it, There's two parts to it. One part is being the teacher and the other part is being the leader or the principal. But I think it doesn't matter who you are, what role you are in. In immersion, you're always a leader. You want to surround yourself with good people, whether it be your colleagues, whether it be... Um, the other teachers that support you as a school administrator. But by having good colleagues around you makes a huge difference because you can't do either teaching or administrating on your own. It's really a group effort. You need to listen to people, whether it's kids, whether it's the parents, whether it's your colleagues, um, listen to them and really hear what they have to say because that's what's going to give you your direction. Um, I guess as a school principal, what I found maybe a little different than others was trying to say yes to people. When they come in with their ideas, and sometimes they're a little far-fetched, but if you could say yes, it opened so many doors and so many possibilities. We had people phoning and saying, would your school be interested in this kind of a project? And I would 
say, sure, let's talk about it a little bit more and see if it's feasible. And I guess the biggest thing I found is you really need to know who you are as a teacher or as an administrator and use that your own personality and your own interests and your own passion and creativity to make your job, whether it's teaching or administrating, to make it interesting and relevant to other people. But find out who you are and bring that to the population, whether it's kids or adults. Mm -hmm. Well, I think those are some good lessons. I know that one of the things that you brought to your school was, was about culture. And, um, and I've heard you talk about this before, and that's creating a, a school where culture in the large sense can thrive. And, and really, I was, when I saw you, when you saw you speak about that, I was really struck by your passion for that. Tell me about having a, a school where culture is important and maybe some of the ways that you went about creating that culture rich school. So what is school culture? There's two different sides to it, I think. One side is that feeling when you walk into a school, what's the climate? Sometimes we use the word climate, sometimes we use the word culture. But where people walk in and they feel that this is a place I want to be, I, I, I feel comfortable here, I feel like people are listening to me, I feel valued and respected, again, whether you're a child or whether you're an adult. So that kind of culture we developed over time, I believe, but one of the most profound workshops that I went to to help me with that was Diane Gosson's restitution, where uh, we learned that, of course, everybody makes mistakes, but it's in how we correct those mistakes that makes us who we are and makes us better people. So we've really worked on that principle that everybody, whether it's going to be other staff members or whether it's going to be the kids or even the parents that you're dealing with, at times we maybe say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing, but let's work together to correct it. And that's what learning is based on. So that was one sort of uh, cultural belief. But then when you look at culture as being the traditions and the values of other, other cultures, other groups of people, uh, that's where we began with, and in, particularly in French, it's something we talk about. There was one administrator's meeting we had, and it really shocked me because it's the whole school district that's together. And the word culture came up. And one of the other principals said, well, why are we talking about culture? We don't have a culture. And to me, that just was so narrow in her understanding of what culture is. And maybe because I've worked in French immersion for so long, we, we, we look at culture. We try to teach culture. We try to teach, of course, the English culture, but also the French culture. And what is the French culture? Is it from Manitoba, where I'm a part of, because there is a large French community here. Is it a Quebec Canadian culture? Is it a Francophone culture from France or from other places in the world? And that was sort of the beginning of our looking at uh, culture a little bit beyond our borders. And then the population of my school changed over time. It was it started as a very white middle class school. And over time, we had so many people coming from other places in the world, particularly China, some from India. And how do you how do you work with people who do have a different culture, different traditions? So how do you work with people who have different traditions and different values and try to understand and appreciate where they are coming from and at the same time impart our what I would say 
our Canadian traditions. And some of those issues became really, really difficult and challenging, which I'll mention in a minute. But on the positive side, we began to look, because we had many Chinese students, we began to look at Chinese culture and Chinese traditions. And we had parents coming in, uh, doing workshops, teaching kids how to make Chinese food, egg rolls, things like that. Um, we had dancing, we had costumes, and we would wrap this all up in an evening at school where the community was invited and we'd have a supper and we'd have entertainment. The kids would be really involved in, in learning about that culture. Uh, we did that. And from our involvement in, in that culture, we wound up having an exchange where we took our grade six students to China for 10 days and the Chinese students came back to Winnipeg. Then parents said, well, you've done Chinese. Could we work with you? Again, that's being open to those possibilities. Could we work with you? Could we do an East Indian celebration? Well, why not? Especially if you work with us, it makes it a lot easier. So for about a month, we focused on um, Indian traditions, Indian culture, knowledge, stories, tales, legends, food, costumes, dance. And again, we wrapped that all up in one evening where we invited the community. And we had dinner and entertainment and all kinds of things. So out of that came two interesting comments from people. We uh, do a lot. We did a lot of arts projects in the school. And we wound up doing many murals that covered the outside of the school. So with our trip to uh, China, we did a mural that focused on what the children learned from that experience, both the Chinese and the, uh, the Manitoban students. And the mural had writing in it and it had it in French, what they thought about going to China and what the Chinese thought about coming to, to Canada. It had writing in French, it had writing in English, and it had writing in Mandarin. So we didn't think too much about it. There wasn't that much. There were maybe like three sentences that were in Mandarin. But about a year later, after it had gone up, we had people coming in for our kindergarten registration and sort of asked them what they knew about our school and why they came. And they said, well, we saw this mural. And saw right in Mandarin. The, uh, one of the parents came into the school and he said, I just couldn't believe that my culture was so valued and appreciated. I could not believe that I went into any place in Canada where I felt such a sense of belonging. And that to me was a really significant piece. So how do we work with our communities, whatever they be, to broaden the students' understanding of what the world is? And I think that's one of our key goals as educators. You bet. The next thing that I wanted to talk to you about is I know that you've been a strong advocate for French immersion and and the inclusion of all students in French immersion programs. What messages would you give to doubters or people who don't think that French immersion is the place for struggling students? How would you approach that? Well, I can tell you two stories that maybe will answer that question. The first one is a personal story about my son, who will be turning 29 in a few weeks. So, But he did go through French immersion, uh, from kindergarten, and of course I speak French, my wife doesn't speak French, and we're both teachers, educators, sort of knowing what to do with kids, and he struggled. He struggled in grade one, in grade two, in grade three. Dictates were a nightmare, filled with tears. We would try to support him 
looking at all kinds of strategies. My wife had done a little bit of reading recovery training, and she was trying to use some of that. It was really frustrating, and it made us question, is this the right program for him? And I thought, if this is what I'm doing as my job, teaching in French immersion, how can I say, but my own child can't succeed in this? So we persevered. We just tried to support him in as many ways as possible. Reading was a huge challenge, but we continued to read to him all the time. And then in grade five was when the Harry Potter series first came out, and I read him the first book, and he really enjoyed it. And after that, he said, "Don't I don't want you to read it to me, Dad. I want to read this on my own. I thought, well, good luck, because up to this point, books like Nate the Great were our biggest success. So he took that Harry Potter book and he read through it. I thought, well, that's really amazing because he's never been able to do that before. The second book he read was The Apprenticeship of Duddy Kravitz, which was a novel that I had from my university days. His ability to read jumped dramatically in grade five, the end of grade five. Up until that point, he really we we questioned ourselves, we questioned everything because he just couldn't do these things. But I believe that through supporting him in a positive way and just being there and believing in the program and that everybody can learn another language made the difference for him. So he continued to go on and of course his reading was fine and he went to university and he graduated just a few months ago. Uh, from a master's program in music, and he had the highest standing in the program with a 4.5 grade point average. So it shows you have to believe in in kids, and they have to believe in the program. So from that, it really did teach me a lot about about um, how children learn. And what's good, thing, uh, I mentioned the dictate, which I really have a uh, uh, dislike for. But at that time, it was pretty common. And, you know, you're trying to get them through this and thinking, does this really make any sense? But OK, so the second story is uh, about a little girl named Maya. And I've talked to her mom and her mom has given me permission to tell this story. And we have videotaped Maya and her learning as things have gone along. So Maya's brother came to our school in kindergarten and he was an average student, no problems, no difficulties. And Maya was a couple of years younger than her brother. She came in with a mom and the mom was saying, oh, you know, I've heard good things. I'm really liking this school. I just wish both of my kids could come here. And I said, well, why wouldn't they? What do you mean? Well, my older son is, you know, he's an average kid, but my younger daughter, Maya, is autistic and quite severely autistic. At that point, she was four years old and she didn't have any language at all. Uh, lots of crying and temper tantrums and things like that. And I said, but if you want both of your students to come here, we will find a way to make that happen for you. Said, what do you mean? I said, well, she's going to have challenges. If she's autistic, she's going to have challenges in any school. But here, we'll try to find a way to support her, and she'll have her challenges in both French and English. So the mom thought that sounded like a reasonable plan. And over the course of that year, the, when she was four and beginning of when she was five, we invited her into the school to be in the library, to be in the music room, to be in the gym, just to get a greater sense of what it was like coming to school. So kindergarten, she came 
and again, she had challenges. We felt that because she didn't have any language at all, that it would be good for her to repeat kindergarten. We have half-time kindergarten in the school, but we said, if you would like, she can come in the morning and the afternoon. So by the end of her second year at the school, she had really three full experiences of kindergarten. And the language slowly started. And we did provide some extra um, educational assistance support. We were given some funding for her through the province for an educational assistant. And we would do all kinds of activities with her. Over time, she did begin to develop language. She received support in reading in both English and in French. I heard her reading in French, and it was in grade two by this time, so that's four years into our school. And she was reading at a, you know, end of grade one, beginning of grade two level. It was quite amazing. By grade four, the phys ed teacher said, do you want to come into the gym and just see what I'm doing with the kids? It was a skip rope demonstration. And there was Maya skipping away in beat with all of these fancy moves and being just like one of the other kids. So oh, now I've left the school and Maya has gone on to continue on her learning. But to me, it showed that with the support of the whole staff and the parents, that she was able to succeed to her own ability. And that ability really was pretty amazing in the end. So the mom always has tears in her eyes and she said it was because you believed in my daughter that she's had this success so to me that shows that anybody can learn school is school a lot of an immersion a lot of immersion classes use really good teaching practices they use visuals and they use auditory and they use drama to convey messages so messages and vocabulary are often taught in in many ways and that certainly helps kids who are struggling. Teachers have to understand that maybe all students are not going to reach those provincially set out outcomes, but let's do the best we can for each kid. And if we can do that and believe in them, then they're going to succeed. That's the end of my story. No, those are two great stories. I think they show exactly what can happen if you believe and and if you continue and if you support so that's that's a that's a great perspective thank you for sharing those the the next question i want to ask you about is is your book and and i know that you recently wrote a book on leadership in french immersion schools and um we you've been working on that for a few years now and it's about just to come out do you want to tell me a little bit about it and maybe some of the reasons that you thought it was important to write a book like that? Well, about eight years ago at the ACP, the um, French Immersion Teachers National Association, uh, their conference in Victoria, I made a proposal asking ACP if they could also find ways to support uh, the principals and vice principals in French immersion schools, recognizing that they have a huge impact on the culture, the climate of the school, and the support of the program. So that motion was approved, and from that time, ACP set forth on a plan to find ways that they could support school administrators. A committee was established, and I was asked to be on the committee, as you were, Corey, and that's how we got to know each other. Um, And over time, we provided workshops for school administrators, 
um, throughout the country, across the country. And we looked at who these administrators were, and we found that maybe at the school administrators, principals, vice principals, whichever word you want to use, um, we tried to broaden that and looked at who were the school leaders, because there's a lot of people who are aspiring, who are interested in leadership positions, who, it, who can affect the program. Resource teachers, counselors, school trustees, superintendents, all of these people have an impact on the program and the community. So we changed our our mandate a little bit and looked at how we could support French immersion leadership. And that's what the book is. It's called A Reflective Guide for French Immersion Leaders. And that re really means everybody who's involved in the immersion program. So we learned as we were doing these workshops through ACP that there were many administrators who were involved in the French immersion program who didn't speak French but who were open and wanting to find out more about it. We had a, a workshop in Calgary that we both participated in where the English speaking principal brought his whole staff. It was uh, an immersion staff and he wanted to find out what he should know about immersion and that really was um, important for us because we recognized his goodwill and that we needed to be open and not just do everything in French, but to provide him that information so that he could be a better French um, administrator. Then I had my superintendent talk to me once uh, in a conversation where we were talking about our own professional growth. And this is pretty much directly what he said. He said, Gordon, I really don't get this French immersion. I, why would parents put their children in French in school to learn French? I learned German when I was at home with my parents. But really? That's what you think? And you've reached this position, this leadership position in education. And because you learned German at home, you don't see the value of the French immersion program. I couldn't believe that that was an opinion coming from someone at that, at that level. So... That was part of the impetus for writing this book, to help people understand what the program is about and to make them think about it, to think about what they're doing and why they're doing it. So that's our, our reflective guide for French immersion leaders, which will be um, available at certainly at the ACP conference. And if people are interested, it's available through the ACP website. You can download the, um, the, the book itself uh, a cost of $15 for members, and I think it's 20 or 25 for non-members. And then the book itself in a printed format is $25 through ACP for members, and I think it's $40 for non-members. Uh, the book took a number of years, and because we had done these workshops across the country, we had a lot of feedback from different areas. And we had each each member of the leadership team had focused on different areas of French immersion. So we have best practices and we have professional growth and we have uh, looking at French immersion from an early years, middle years, senior years perspective, from central office perspective, from communicating with parents to selection and retention of teachers, advocacy for French immersion. These are all some of the topics that we presented on and looked at, uh, I looked at when I was writing the book and tried to put the information together. So the book itself begins uh, in English with a short, a few pages, looking at each of these topics to give uh, a new leader or even a seasoned leader some understanding of what this topic is about, 
but not that they're going to have to spend hours reading and understanding it. It sort of highlights the key issues surrounding the topic. And then it's followed by a few, about five questions that help you to clarify your own thinking about these issues. So that was the beginning of the book. And then we worked with a publisher and they said, we like to have a little bit more interaction with our work that we're doing. How could we make this a little bit more interactive? And I was always a little concerned that the book was in English. It's about French immersion. So how does that value the French language? I didn't want it to be a bilingual, like translate, direct translation. Um, so what we discussed and then I worked on was a second part of the book, which is the user's guide. And the user's guide has a synthesis or synopsis of each of the chapters in French. And then it's uh, that it, then there is a translation of that in English. And there's questions both in French and English that could be used with your staff, or could be, again, could be used individually to reflect on your beliefs. Uh, for example, let's see if I can find uh, some of the questions that I thought were, were decent. Um, all kids should be entitled to a bilingual education and our schools should offer bilingual programs to all kids. So how do you feel about that statement, sort of on a scale of one to five? There's all kinds of questions, but that's just one of them that makes us um, think about what we're doing. So the goal of the user's guide is for the, the school leader, the principal or vice principal, whether they speak English or French, they have an idea of totally what, it's, what the topic is, but they could give the French section to their staff will take them a minute or two to read through it and then look at the questions. And that's something that then the staff could discuss. There's a rating scale of one to five. You could easily just take a poll of how many people gave us a one on that, how many people gave us a two, three, four or five, but then use that for your own school growth plan and an understanding of how people, whether it's parents or the teachers, see the program in the school. So those are the two parts of the book, but the main goal is to keep it simple to give immediate information, and then furthermore, to really make people think about their own practices and goals in immersion. Yeah, and I've seen an advanced copy of that book, and um, that's what I've really appreciated. I've really appreciated how you keep complex issues and you make them simple. And the other thing that I really appreciated was that reflective guide, the the, the different questions that that you can bring the reader through or that you do bring the reader through but then also how those questions might be used with a staff and even uh, I think even some parents so yeah. uh, I'm really excited about it I I think it's wonderful so that that's exciting Gordon let's talk about education a bit more generally I want to know is there something about learning or education that you think is true that most people or a high percentage of people would disagree with you on uh, when we're looking at French immersion, I guess that's one issue. Even my wife and I sort of disagree on this, but I would think that it would be beneficial. It would be challenging, but I really think it would be beneficial if all students across the country could have a bilingual education so that maybe we, we don't have French immersion, but that we have half and half programs where half the day would be in French and half the day would be in English, but that, that would no longer be a choice and that everybody would get that kind of education. Now, it would be challenging because, first of all, we couldn't get a number, probably the number of teachers 
to to do that. But to me, that would um, change the face of our education in our country. And I think ultimately, it would have a huge benefit for all of the students involved in understanding the two languages, in understanding what culture is. And then again, as I said, looking at it beyond just the two languages and um, from a broader global perspective. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I've heard some some interesting projects in the Ottawa region where, where they're mm-hmm. actually looking at that. So I think that we'll even have some some research and some statistics to let us know whether that's a good thing or not. That's a very interesting idea. Next question. When you think of the term master teacher, who or what comes to mind and why? You know, when I saw your questions, I, I actually wrote down an answer for that one. And if I, I'm just going to read what I, I wrote there, if that's okay. I thought good teachers, now good teachers, not master teachers, good teachers cover the curriculum effectively. And they help all kids learn and reach their required outcomes. But master teachers have the passion and the creativity to engage students in their learning and that they open doors for those students to have new experiences. And those experiences often have profound effects on their long-term learning and their global understanding. So a master teacher is going to really push those those, um, areas of learning and those boundaries to open up the world to the kids. That's a great answer. Do you have a favorite success or a favorite failure that you feel has helped you learn an important lesson? And it could be in schools or it could be in your life. But you have maybe a good time or a bad time that you look back on and say, hey, I learned something really important when that happened. There's a few things. Um, In the sort of the bad area, I remember beginning in French immersion as a teacher. I, I started at grade two. I spent all of my time almost all my time at um, uh, middle years with some university teaching. But I began in grade two. And again, this was in the early 80s. Immersion was pretty much new. We didn't have a lot of supports or resources or really understanding of the program, but we were all trying to make this work. And there was a struggling student in the room. Not hugely struggling, but he had difficulty with reading and, of course, the dictates that I was giving at the time. And at the conferences that we had in November with the parents, I said, gee, this is really challenging for him. Are you sure it's the right program? So once I said that, the parents questioned it, and they did pull him out of the program. And I felt my lack of knowledge and inability to reach this kid was a pretty major failure. So I don't know, I'm sure he went on and he, I I would imagine he did fine in his schooling, but that was my fault and that was not his fault as a a student. He he would have been fine had he stayed in the program. Um, The other sort of negative story is over time as a school leader, as a school administrator, we had a variety of different uh, workshops and discussions with our senior administrative team. And in the last few years, they started to talk about having hard conversations with your staff because, you know, we're really going to shape things up and, and we want people to be doing the best that they can do and doing right things. And if they're not, we need to have those hard conversations. So, you know that on any staff, there are going to be some teachers who are struggling and some support staff who are struggling. And how do you go about making a change 
in their practices. Sometimes that's really challenging and sometimes it's almost impossible. But our school division was saying, let's have those hard conversations with them. We just need to tell them that things aren't working and they have to ship up. Well, I did try it. And I can tell you that that does not work in my mind. Having the hard conversation is not a way to support people, is not a way to get them to grow personally. Um, I think you really have to be focusing on your communication, keeping it positive, and uh, working in very small increments to get that kind of change you need. Because having the hard conversation really only makes them, I would think, more negative towards the whole profession. And I've seen it, um, it, it repeated in many, many schools with many good colleagues who have done sort of what the division has asked and had those hard conversations and they really haven't ever been productive in my mind. Um, so those are the, the two negatives. Um, I think I've had so many, I've had so many positive experiences. As I mentioned, we had our exchange trips to China. We, um, I took groups of students often to Quebec and uh, the whole idea of the student exchange is really neat. As a teacher, I, I just wanted to provide other experiences that kids couldn't get. Uh, we, I had a brother who, I have a brother at that time. He worked on a um, reserve in northern Manitoba. And we thought, well, let's take our kids from Winnipeg up to the reserve and they can experience life on a, in a reserve. And we had the students from there come down to uh, Winnipeg for about four or five days. We went into a sweat lodge, we did ice fishing, we learned beading, we had a huge community dinner. And it was a hugely important experience, I think, for both groups of students. Once he left, we I wanted to do something else. I just phoned a northern community in Manitoba, the school there, and I said, is there any, anyone interested in participating in a student exchange? And the grade six teacher there thought, hey, this is sort of neat. So we took our kids up to Thompson, Manitoba for four days, and then the students from Thompson came down to Winnipeg. So even without having that direct contact, I think it's still possible to provide um, kids with unique experiences that are going to teach them a lot more than you can teach them in the classroom. I think that that's right. Getting them out of the classroom, and we've had a couple guests that are espousing and really promoting what exactly that. Uh, it's not just about what happens in the classroom. It's getting kids yeah. and taking their learning outside. Uh, I got a couple quicker questions. Do you have a favorite app or website or other media that um, that you use with teachers or with other educators? The one that I find it is really good and really interesting on Facebook is the French Immersion, the ACP um, site. There's so much information that's put there. Nancy Wise has put a lot of information on, but really good information and relevant information and current information. So I would suggest that anyone in French Immersion should be hooked up to that uh, site. I did write the name down. On Facebook, it's called J'enseigne en immersion française. I teach in French immersion. And people write it in, in English and in French. So that's one that I think professionally is a really good site. And personally, the one that I have fun with is Duolingo, the uh, language learning site. Uh, we go to Portugal often, and Portuguese is a really hard language for, uh, for me. I thought Spanish is relatively easy because it's so close to French. 
Portuguese is supposed to be close to Spanish, but oh no, it's a tough language. And Duolingo has given me at least a vocabulary of maybe 500 to 1,000 words so I can at least communicate in restaurants and things like that. I know it's not the ideal way to learn a language, but it's sort of fun. And uh, that's one that I like. There's so many languages available on it that uh, it's, you know, it's not bad. Do you have a book that you quote? I mean, outside of your own book now, uh, that oh, you refer own, yeah. to, or that you, um, that you that you really like to share with others? The one that I found that was really um, re for French immersion education. The one that I found was really good was by Tara Fortune and Mandy Mencken, and it was called "Struggling Learners and Language Immersion Education." And it's a book about the same length as mine, and it's it's got case studies and it's got the information very succinctly about how we should go about supporting struggling learners. And to me, um, Tara is really on the ball with this. She is an American educator, but she's worked with um, lots of uh, well-known Canadian French immersion educators and has researched French immersion across Canada. And to me, the book really nails it on the head. We bought a copy for the whole support team at the school and then we broadened that through the school division. It's not an expensive book uh, in the $20 range, but it's a really simple but straightforward book for supporting, uh, for learning how to support all students. Do you have something that you do every day or most days that, that you feel keeps you healthy and well? Uh, it's, I guess... I'm retired now, so we are able to do a lot of wellness things that you just don't have time for when, when you're working and life is very busy. Um, besides traveling, and again, being open to adventure, I had an interesting experience this last year because my brother, the one who used to be on the reserve, has worked in Thailand for the last 20 years, and he's a vice principal in an international school. So he said last year, gee, we need a term teacher for two months for the final term and ending in June. Would you consider coming? And I looked at my wife and she says, well, why not do it? So I had a two-month teaching experience in Thailand at grade two, and things have changed an awful lot because I haven't been in the classroom for 20 years now, being a principal and then being retired. So the whole use of technology has changed dramatically. And this was a school that uh, where, where we were team teaching. There were two classes of grade two, and we each had our own classroom, and then we had a common space where we could bring the kids together. And it was just a phenomenal experience. And you, I saw how much I loved being with the kids and, and working, but in the idea of, in the aspect of team teaching, which I'd never really done that before, where you plan together and you teach together and one person can um, support the other. We added so many pieces of technology that you just wouldn't have had the time to do if you were teaching on your own. That was a really, really neat and, and I don't know what you'd call it, a fulfilling experience to, to do that and to get paid and at the same time experience the culture and the traditions of, of that country was phenomenal. But on a day-to-day -day basis, I guess we do have our cottage outside of the city and it's being in the forest and, and being in the lake and, and being in nature, to me, that revitalizes you and it gets you away from a lot of your problems. I just read an article this morning. It's called The Forest Bath. And it's talking about the importance of going off into the forest, into nature, and 
just having that quiet, peaceful time, and it really grounds you and and gives you time to think about what's important in life. Yeah, um, that's really interesting because I'm I'm seeing a big trend uh, in my guests of what keeps you well, what keeps you healthy, and a lot of people it is just that getting outside. Now, last quick hitter, do you have an organization or a person who inspires you either right now or, or over a longer period of time? I think that um, for me, it has been ACP who inspires me and provides me with a direction in immersion. We, um, well, I guess I began by going to a conference that was in Toronto in the 1980s, an ACP conference. Uh, wow, this is amazing. There's so many people and there's so many different things about immersion that I didn't know about. Little did I think that I would be doing these conferences and writing a book for them. The support that I got for, first of all, for that motion that I made to support French immersion leaders, and then through the process of writing the book from ACBE has been phenomenal. So I think they're, they're a national organization. So it allows us as individuals whether we're principals or teachers, to connect with people from across the country, get a perspective of what's going on, looking at huge issues like New Brunswick has gone through all kinds of changes in the last five years to their immersion program, positive and negative. Uh, British Columbia, I think, just recently has, the government has, has increased the number of spaces for French immersion teacher candidates at their university. So we're seeing some positive things across the country, but ACP is, is there and, and they communicate with the federal government, they communicate with the provinces, and to me that's a huge valuable resource for our country and for the program that we work in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they do great work. Okay, so what is next for you? Uh, the book is done. What are some of the questions or problems, maybe some of the projects that you're looking at taking on next? Well, I don't think the book is ever done. Yes, it's written um, and it's gone out. We were fortunate in Manitoba that uh, we have a group in Manitoba called AMD, l'Association Manitobaine des Directeurs et Directrices en Immersion. So the uh, principals and, and uh, principals in immersion in Manitoba get together and they meet regularly. Uh, the executive looked at the book and thought, wow, this is really a valuable resource. So they decided to, with ACP's permission, to make copies of it. Uh, and they provided that to all French immersion schools in the province. So um, next steps would be can I personally, and working with our Department of Education in French called Le Beth, can we together provide any support for schools with the book, learning how to use the book, uh, helping to understand their French immersion program more? And uh, so that's sort of on the uh, in the works now. The next uh, next week, there's the ACTI conference, which will be in Winnipeg. And I'm doing a number of sessions on the book, both in English and French. So um, if any schools across the country or school districts across the country are interested in pursuing that more, they can certainly get a hold of me. I was fortunate to even go up to Yukon and work with some of the schools there 
And uh, that was a neat experience because it was based on French immersion. But then the First Nations group said, well, you've done a lot about culture. Would you mind coming in and talking to us? And I learned a tremendous amount and hopefully gave them some ideas how to uh, how to broaden their cultural teachings within the school. But again, any any place in the country well, or the world, that's interested in uh, following up on this. So I'd only be too happy to talk with them about it. And then we were we were very happy last year that, that we had a granddaughter who was born. So uh, as my son does speak French, having gone through all his schooling and immersion, and his wife uh, did the same and went through university, uh, at a, a Francophone university in Winnipeg, uh, they both speak both English and French with their daughter, who's only seven months old now. But uh, it's really neat to see as she begins her language learning and as we're talking with her, uh, just spending time with your grandchildren is always a fun thing to do in your senior years. So those are my my two goals. That's, that sounds like you're uh, maybe retired, but still pretty busy. So that's good yep. to hear. I'm glad to hear that you're still involved in education and helping people uh, learn. So um, if people are interested in getting a hold of you, what's the easiest way? You've mentioned the ACP website and that the book is available for order there. Um, do they have contact information for you there or is there another uh, contact that people can use? Well, it's easiest to um, email me and I can give you my email address. You bet. Uh, don't think it's on the book. If that, you know, emails are sometimes hard to remember or to read. ACP would have my contact information. So by going on the site and uh, talking to somebody at ACP saying that you're more you're interested in getting a hold of me, they would certainly pass that along. My email address is G R Campbell, and then the number is one two one at gmail.com. All right. So G R Campbell, and that's yeah. uh, C A M P B E L L. Yeah, one two one at gmail.com. So I'm pretty good about checking it every day and uh, responding to people that way. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us, Gordon, and uh, wishing you best of luck with the book release and uh, all of the follow-up that goes along with it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Intersection Education Podcast. Before you go, I'd like to recognize that the land where this interview took place is a sacred place that has a long history of human existence. This land has helped people like the Cree, Salto, Nisitapi or Blackfoot, Métis, and Dakota Sioux live well for thousands of years. Let us continue to live well and respect this land.